Our scripture this morning is from Mark 1, 21 through 34. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed with an impure spirit cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? "'Have you come to destroy us? "'I know who you are, the Holy One of God.'" "'Be quiet,' said Jesus sternly. "'Come out of him.' The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, "'What is this, a new teaching and with authority?' He even gives order to the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee." As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was." This is the word of the Lord. You know, I was thinking yesterday and um, I was thinking that there are so many things in life that just make me feel small. You know, like if I walk into anybody's gym, workout gym anywhere, I feel small. You know, 6 6 p.m., everybody's off work. I walk in there, I feel small. Trinity on any given Sunday, average height is like 6'5 in here. I don't know if y'all have noticed, I feel small walking up into Trinity. Driving into Kansas City, um, and y'all pass the Royal Stadium. Whenever I see the big, uh, y'all know what I'm talking about? Is it a crown on the left over there? I just feel small. I don't know why the stadium looks so massive to me. Every time I pass it, I feel tiny. My mom got a, my mom's friend has a, um, a condo downtown Chicago. We've been in there before, and I've stood, um, just looked outside. It's like all glass, all windows and stuff. And I've just looked out, and you know, it's real high skyscraper. I just looked outside, you know, it's just like, wow, I am tiny out here. You know, you look downtown. Feel small. Worlds of fun. Anybody here been to Worlds of Fun? Okay, we got some hands. Yes, uh, the Mamba. He wrote the Mamba. You know, you get to the top of that Mamba and you're an ant. You're like, what is going on here? I feel so small on the top of that Mamba. Um, and there are a ton of things in life that really just just make me feel small, right? That make us feel small and make us feel um, probably how we are in reality. You know, I'm probably an average sized guy. I'm not abnormally small or anything like that. But today what we get to look at in this passage is kind of emphasizing um, what some would call a, a big Jesus passage, you know, a, a, a big God passage. And so uh, I'm excited to, to jump into it. And um, in a lot of ways, when we come into contact with a big Jesus, we will feel small. And that's a good thing. And so um, we're going to unpack this. We just read it, Mark 1, today. And uh, we're three points we're going to unpack is... Jesus as the Holy One of God, Jesus um, having authority in his teaching, and Jesus having authority in his healing. And um, this won't be brand new information by any means, but hopefully we do walk away out of here encouraged that who God is, who Jesus is, and um, that we have an accurate picture of who he is. So I'll pray for us before we jump in, and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that um, your word would really just illuminate uh, to us right now, God, that you would show us what you were wanting to show us, God, that we would have an accurate, clear uh, picture of who you are. God, we would be encouraged deeply by the scriptures. God, we would um, see you as as you really are, God, and that we would 
um, view ourselves as, as, as we should view ourselves. And God, we're grateful that we get to be in the word this morning. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. The Holy One of God, Jesus of Nazareth. So kind of taking place, it jumps straight in, is in, in the synagogue. It says they went to the Capernaum. And so at the time, um, right now for some context, um, up to this point, We've kind of heard from Jesus some, like Jesus got baptized already. He kind of called his disciples to himself. But this is really early on in his ministry. So not a ton of things have happened up to this point. And so if you think about Capernaum, before um, Jesus had kind of came on the scene, everyday life in Capernaum for the last probably 100 years, um, decades on decades, I mean, they've just been the same old, same old. You get some religious teachers you get some people who are learning in these synagogues who come in and they're learning the law. And so the Old Testament is what they're studying in these synagogues. And so you don't, you don't really have much new. You have some uh, Pharisees and Pharisees were kind of the guys who were um, Jesus rebuked all the time. They were typically hypocrites. Um, they were preaching and saying all these things, but they point fingers at people. But like they themselves weren't really walking with God thoroughly. And so. So that's kind of the, the, the life of the synagogue, what's going on in these synagogues. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and he's kind of, you know, he's new on the scene, but it's not like Jesus is just now dropped down 30 years old. No, he lived in, in Nazareth, born and raised, was a carpenter, you know, so he's a normal guy, you know, and, uh, but he walks in. We obviously know him as the anointed one. We know Jesus is the Messiah. We know who he is. Um, but Jesus comes into these synagogues and none of these religious leaders, none of these teachers of the law, would recognize this normal looking dude as the son of God. He looks like a normal guy. Nobody is going to be like, this is him, you know, you know, it's like, no, Jesus is, and uh, he just, he probably six one, you know, slim, you know, probably fell, fell small. Um, and, um, but in a lot of ways though, if you think if you're reading the Old Testament scriptures and you see that the Messiah is coming, you'd probably honestly think of like a Goliath, you know, somebody who's going to come establish God's new kingdom and, you know, he's going to eight foot three Vin Diesel. You know what I mean? It's probably what you're thinking. And, um, and so Isaiah, Isaiah 53 tells us that his appearance had nothing um, and nothing in his appearance drew us, would draw us to himself. And so what we see here though, is, uh, is, is there's an impure spirit, there's a demon-possessed guy or a guy who's um, under the control of a demon, and he sees Jesus as he really is. And so while, and while the, the blind eye for every person looks at Jesus as this normal guy, it's like, well, you have this, this demon who sees things in the spiritual realm, and, and, and here's what he says. He says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, pause there. What's cool is that he acknowledges him as Jesus of Nazareth. And so that's like, like we just said, majority of the people probably knew him as that. Like he was just Jesus of Nazareth, a normal guy. And so everybody in the room would agree with that statement. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And, but it'd probably be weird. Like, what do you mean? Why, what do you mean? What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Um, but people would agree, yes, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Then he goes on, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's like, hold on, what? You know, people in there, the Holy One, what do you say? You know, it's like people would not have agreed with that statement. You know, the Holy One of God. Well, you, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, they don't go together. And like I said, in the synagogue, that is, um, if, if, if this demon is wrong, if this person is wrong who says this claim, then that's blasphemy. And I mean, the, the, um, the, the consequence for blasphemy is 
some real big trouble, might be death. You know, it's like if, if, if this person is wrong, he just called him. I mean, nobody up to this point has ever um, had this high of a praise said about them. That's the highest title anybody's received. In the Old Testament, it's God was often referred to as, as the Holy One. And so everybody knew God as, as the Holy One. To be holy just means to be set apart. And so God is holy. And I mean, you think about the Old Testament God that we know, God of Israel, the one who brought the Israelites out of Egypt um, and all the miracles that he did for them. It's like, this, every, that was common knowledge back then. Everybody knew that that, that was the God. It's like, so the Holy One of God, you just called him the Holy One of God, and we know the Holy One. God did the one who split the sea. This demon just said that this is the Messiah, right? And I mean, this is ruffling the feathers of everything going on in the synagogue. People don't like it. Well, the uh, religious leaders don't like it. They're confused, and you can see where the tensions would come in because Jesus is just, uh, he, he's a normal-looking guy, but this demon sees things from, from the spiritual reality. He sees Jesus for, for who he actually is walking in, and, um, and he says this confidently, and he's not worried. It's funny, think about this. He's not worried about what anybody else has to say because he sees Jesus for who he is, and he knows what it is. So at, at that point, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. It's like, what, what do you want with us? Um, Jesus of Nazareth. And so, but what I want us to, to look at is what Jesus, or because the demon saw Jesus correctly, he had a certain posture, he had a certain approach, and he had a certain tone about himself. Everybody else didn't really look at Jesus correctly because they just didn't know yet. You know, we'll come, we'll later on find out. But I want us to take note of this demon's posture and his tone and his approach. Um, and one, one reason why he's, um, he has his tone and posture is because he is a demon and he's on the wrong team. And so he knows that obviously. He's like, well, this guy is going to you know, kill me. So it's like, that, that, is, that is one um, aspect of it. He's blatantly like disobedient to God in every regard. And so, uh, so I'd be terrified too. But, um, but, but look back at verses 23 and 24 again. Here's what it says. It says, an evil spirit cried out. It cried out, what do you want? What do you want with us, Jesus and others? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. He's terrified. And why is he terrified? Like like I said, he's terrified because he's on Satan's team. And Jesus directly opposes that. But the other reason that we should take heed to that he's terrified is just because he sees Jesus correctly. And that leads to reverence for God. When we look at Jesus correctly, there should naturally be some reverence for God, some reverence for who Jesus is. Have you guys ever sat courtside of an NBA game? Anybody? I see some hands real quick. No hands. Look, well, look. We, we won some tickets. We didn't pay for them. We won some tickets one time. And, um, uh, you know, I, I watched an NBA game on TV. And I, you know, I look out there and I'll be like, man, surely I can guard this dude. You know, I'm like, he's, he's, he's not all that. And then, you know, I'm like, maybe I can entertain standing out there. Give me a contract, you know. Soon as we get these, uh, these tickets, it was an Oklahoma City game back when Kevin Durant was with them. And we won these. Um, we were in Oklahoma City for a conference and won them. And they were playing the Sacramento Kings. If for those of you know, Boogie Cousins, he's 7'2". And he's like 260. I mean, I've never seen a human being so massive. He was huge. And I'm, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm just watching the gameplay courtside. And this is nothing like the TV. I'm talking about, 
I don't belong anywhere on this court. I'm like, you don't put me out there for 30 seconds. I'm not, I'm, I'm a lose, I'm a dribble off my foot off of sheer. I just don't belong here. You know, I'm like, and, and, uh, it, it's crazy. The, the, the closer that I got to the proper view of NBA players, the closer that I got, the more I saw the separation from, from my talent to their talent. You know, there was a, uh, there was a reverence, there was a respect, there was a newfound, okay, like y'all really are huge. Y'all really are that quick. Y'all really are that good. And in, in, in the exact same way, in our day and age, we have to fight to see Jesus accurately. Everybody has something to say about Jesus, but we have to fight to see Jesus who he really is. And that's one reason why we personally, individually want to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. It's just because the Bible will give us that accurate picture. The Bible will put us courtside with Jesus. We'll be able to see exactly who he is. We don't have to listen and hear this outside noise to give us who God is, who Jesus is. Why is that crucial? And that's crucial because when we do have that perspective of Jesus, I am willing um, to do whatever because I revere him. I see him properly in, in his entirety. Um, I should see, I should recognize that in, in, in the grand scale and from God's perspective, I am like a, a, a speck of, of sand, um, a grain of sand on, on, on the beach, you know, compared to God. How many people are in the world? David in the Psalms, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? God, he says, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? Like, what is man that you even think about us? A proper view of Jesus really will produce reverence. Some, um, some scholars say that revering God in general is a more of a weakness right now in our generation today because people nowadays tend to have a, um, a perspective or a feeling that we're bigger and better than we've ever have been in human history. Like we, we, we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to in this generation. And it may be because we have opportunities at our fingertips. You can go anywhere, like the world is accessible. Like you can go to Australia tomorrow if you wanted to. You know, it's like maybe it's because we have access to things. Maybe it's because we're in the know. But they say revering God is overall a weakness for our generation because um, we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. But, you know, it's funny. It, like if, if we walk outside right now, you know, and the sun's up, we, we can't even look at the sun for 30 seconds straight. No blinking, you know without there being some type of long-term damage on our eyeballs. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, we walk outside and just look at the sun. It was uh, people, right? Human beings. We can't even look at the sun. But what doesn't compare, but the sun doesn't even compare to lightning. I'm looking, in, I'm looking in the lightning. You know, I, you know, I Googled. I said, you know, is lightning brighter than the sun? You know, I was just curious. And... Um, and, and what it told me is lightning is four times hotter than the sun is, and it produces up to 600 times more energy than the sun does. And I'm like, these are both things that we've witnessed, both things that we've all seen. We've seen lightning, we see the sun, and God created both of those things. We can't even look at the sun that God created for 30 seconds, yet we think that we can stand and have a conversation with God. We think that we're big when we talk, when we approach God. We think that we have something, some kind of common ground to stand on 
with God. I mean, how much more radiant and magnificent is he than, than lightning, than, than the sun? How much more massive, yet we struggle to revere him. I wanted to look at a couple examples in scripture of what happens when people come into contact with the likeness of God. So God says, you can't see me in my full glory, you'll die. So any human being who sees me in my full glory dies. So that lets us know that nobody's going to see him in his full glory. At least I don't know what heaven is going to probably be in his full glory. I'm assuming we'll we'll be perfect. So, you know, that's doctrine and rabbit trail. I'm not going that way. You know what I mean? Um, But um, we come in, what happens when we come into contact with, with a little bit of his presence? Well, look, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the throne of God, sees angels and seraphs flying around. And what is his response when he sees the likeness of the glory of God? His knees buckle. He trembles. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am ruined. Ezekiel chapter one, similar situation. He sees the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Guess what happened? He says, when I saw it, I fell face down. Face down. Matthew 17, the disciples are with Jesus with the transfiguration. They go up. And this is Peter, James, and John. Peter, Jesus obviously invested in the 12, but those three, he kind of brought those three and showed them a little bit more than he showed the 12. He kind of invested a little bit more deeper in those three. They were his leaders. They went up on this mountaintop. Scripture says that Jesus' face was shown like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. A cloud enveloped all of them. And God spoke, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Mind you, these are, this is Peter, James, and John. They've been walking with Jesus for a while now. They've been walking with them, kicking it with them. They've seen them do miracles. They're familiar with Jesus. They're familiar with, with, the, with the human Jesus, with Jesus of Nazareth and the, and, and the son of God. They're familiar with, wow, you are, you know, he's probably calmed the storm at this point. They know that he is the son of God. But what happens when they're up there on this mount and they hear this and they see Jesus shining in his glory? What happens? Matthew 17, 6 is when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Terrified, and they, they they had lived they had lived life with Jesus, but when they saw him in his actual glory, when they saw him in who he really is, they couldn't help but fall face down. And for so many of us in the room, my prayer and hope is that I, we would look at Jesus and revere him like that. I mean, I wake up in the mornings, and that is not my knee jerk at all. That is not my knee jerk at all to think about God. I don't think when I get to pray in the mornings that I am praying to the utmost high God. I don't think that I'm praying that I don't, I don't deserve to even be in your presence. I don't think about that. I'm like, God, what you going to do for me today? You know? A proper view of who Jesus really is should produce reverence in our life. We should be humbled. We should tremble before God. Questions for us to answer, um, to think about from Jesus being the Holy One of God. Do you revere God or do you think too highly of yourself? Is he just Jesus of Nazareth to you or is he the Holy One of God? Do we tremble at God's word like we would in his presence? If I had a proper view of Jesus all the time, 
If I had a proper view of Jesus in general, my entire life would be shaken by it. We want to immerse ourselves in the scriptures because we will continue to have a clear view of who Jesus is and that will continue to allow our hearts to revere him. That will allow our hearts to be humble before him. And that is what we need. Jesus, the Holy One of God. Not only that, but Jesus, he had authority in his teaching. And so... um, Jesus taught with authority, right? What does it say? The, the, the people said, um, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, you know, like what, what is this? People in there, they're looking in it. It's kind of shade being thrown to the religious leaders, you know, all the more reason for them to hate Jesus. They like, hold on, this dude, you know, new hotshot, you know? Um, and I've thought of what does it look like to speak with authority? I spent some time thinking about it. Does it mean that you're domineering the conversation? You know, does like, what does it look like? You know, he speaks with authority. It's like, are, are you louder than other people? Like, are you, you know, are you correcting other people? Like, you know, no, that's not right because of X, Y, and Z, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, it's like, is that speaking with authority? Um, you know, uh, I was like, man, is is it like, a, it can't be like, like, like a bully. You know, I'm like, what is authority? I was thinking about it. Um, and I still haven't landed, honestly. It's still one of those thoughts in the air that I, I don't really you know, know what that exactly looked like. But I can't help but think that Jesus had to have been so convinced. Jesus had to have been so unwavering, so sure of what he was talking about. I can't help but think, and he obviously wasn't speaking, you know, he wasn't domineering. He wasn't the things that we would think speaking with authority, loving, humble, gentle, kind, but so sure of what is coming out of his mouth. And, and that it makes so much sense if we step back and think about it. Like, how can one speak with that much authority? Who can speak with that much authority? Well, it would be the creator of the universe could speak with that much authority. If he made the whole universe, then he knows how we're supposed to live in it. John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is the eternal word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. In John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. How can Jesus speak with so much authority? Well, he was the living word of God. Have you guys ever met like a CEO or somebody who invented anything? A CEO or like a uh, a lead engineer on something, you know, somebody who just, they they put it together. If you talk to them about their product, you know, you you just know... if you have a thought, you know they have a correction for your thought. You know, if if it's the, they are the most sure people on the planet of their product, you know, and it, it just makes sense. I'm like, yeah, you created it. You know, I I'm just I'm just gonna ask you questions because I have nothing to bring to this table. You know, it's like you you know it all, and 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 in the same way, it's that is that's what it is with Jesus. That's why he was able to speak with so much authority, and I think that's why people noticed it. It wasn't like I'm throwing out these random opinions or these random thoughts, you know? It's like, if you think about some of the stories in the Bible, they just begin to make sense. Mark 4, when they're on the boat and Jesus calms the storm, he's storming and Jesus is on the boat and he says, calm down and the storm calms down and listens to him. He's the creator of, of, the, 
Um, the weather just blanked. It's one thing, right? It's crazy. I mean, we think about that, and I'm like, Jesus told this. But if you think about it in the right perspective, that makes so much sense. He was the word of God who created everything, co-creator with God the Father, came, was in the flesh. And so, of course, everything listens to him. Of course it does. Somebody said, it's one thing to be scared of a storm, but it's a whole other thing to be scared of the guy who tells the storm what to do. I'm like, that is so true. So it's not just that Jesus had these brilliant insights um, of wisdom, buckets of wisdom. Um, it's not just that he was just this, you know, strong prophet who just, you know, put, put everything together, these perfect connections. No, he was, he was actually the son of God. And so, but, but then what happened? What th- then what happened as a result of that, right? Jesus taught with authority. In our passage, what happened? Verse 27, look at it with me. 28. What happened was news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. People could not stop talking about this guy. He casted out a demon. Demons obey him. They just, demons just said he was the holy one of God. He's teaching with authority. They couldn't stop talking about this guy. Why could they not stop talking about this guy? It's like we just said, we know that he's the living Son of God. And, but what's wild to me is that still to this day, news about him is still spreading. Back then, yes, it was spreading. But to this day, thing, Jesus is still being talked about everywhere over the whole world. Still to this day, God's word still, it still has that exact same authority. It's like Jesus back then was blowing people's mind. They couldn't fathom this guy doing these things, but that is the same thing that's happening today. Everywhere in the world, people are hearing about Jesus. They're experiencing his teaching. I mean, think about it. Back then, people came into contact with Jesus. They heard what he said. They were blown away by his teaching and they witnessed what he did. Back then, people came into contact with Jesus. They heard what he said. They were blown away by his teaching and they witnessed what he did. That's what happened when Jesus was walking on the earth. Well, what happens today in 2021? People come into contact with Jesus. How? They walk into a church or they meet one of Jesus's followers and they start to see your life is different. What's different about your life? They start to hear, they get exposed to Jesus's teaching. They get exposed to what Jesus was talking about. They begin to be blown away that Jesus, what he said 2000 years ago is still relevant to today's day and age. They're blown away. And then what happens? They watch, they submit their life to God and they watch Jesus change their whole life. They witness what he does. I mean, the same thing is happening today that it did when Jesus was walking around 2,000 years ago. His teaching is not outdated. He was the creator. What he said is in place for now and forever. It's not theory. It is so crazy. I mean, we think about it. I wanted to look at one example from the scriptures. One, one, thing, one, one thing that Jesus said that will continue to just transcend any generation and is in Matthew 6. And he was talking about worry and anxiety, as we all know, we live in a time right now where worry and anxiety is just at its peak. You know, it's, 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 what, it's, what, it's what all the research says, you know, probably from social media and all the other avenues for people to, to be worried about. 
But Jesus speaks to some people in Matthew 6 and um, 2,000 years ago. And essentially, we're not going to read it directly, but essentially Matthew 6, I believe it's um, up until 33, blanking on where it starts. But he um, essentially, he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. Who feeds these birds is what he asked the people. Who gives these birds food? Are they just flying around and they're seeing worms coincidentally? They just go down and, and eat a worm real quick. No, who feeds these birds? The heavenly father feeds these birds. There's nothing that's happening outside of God's sovereign reign. So everything is happening. God controls all of that. God is feeding these birds. Jesus says, if God feeds these birds, aren't you much more valuable than they are? Aren't you much more valuable than you're made in my image I'm feeding, God feeds these birds. I feed these birds. Won't I take care of you? Then he says, why do we worry about food? So why do you worry about food, what you will eat? The crazy thing about that to me is that food isn't essential for everyday life. It's not like he says, why are you worried about, you know, um, uh, a career? Why are you worried about, you know, um, uh, X, Y, and Z, blanking on examples, Why are you worried about these things? He says, if he says, why are you worried about food? Food is an essential. We know we need food to live. And he says, why do you even, why are you worried about your essential? I'm going to take care of all the things that aren't even essential. Why are you worried about the essential? I feed the birds. And that is just so crazy to me. You think about what Jesus was saying then, and it is just as true then as it is right now. I mean, so many people need to just let go of all that anxiety, all of the worry. I mean, I, I pick up worry and anxiety often and I have to actively, first Peter talks about cast your anxieties on God. I have to actively cast anxieties on God because I'll just naturally get to worrying about stuff. I will just in my head randomly just get to worrying and I'm like, what am I even doing? And you know what? It'd probably be a good reminder for me is if I go outside and just look at a bird go by. What if every time I saw a bird, I was reminded that God feeds them, he will take care of me. What if every time I went outside, that was my thought? Jesus' teachings transcends all generations. He had authority in his teaching. What he said was true and is true now, and it will be true forever. He is direct revelation from God. And you know, some people will say like, I I like this part of Jesus's teaching, but I don't really like this part. You're like, I agree with majority of what Jesus had to say, but like he was kind of tripping over here. You know, I don't know about this. It's like, well, Jesus was the creator of everything, created the whole universe. He gave us instruction. Here's how you will thrive. I've designed you. Here's how you'll thrive. And here's all of how you'll thrive. You, you, you can't ignore some of this and think that that's going to be all of it. No, if you ignore some, you're ignoring all pretty much. And it's crazy if you think about it, if that's the case and we choose not to embrace everything that Jesus said in his word and we choose not to operate and live out of that, then kind of the whole universe, everything in life will work its way against us. 
Jesus created it. He said, here's how you thrive in it, right? If I choose not to, I'm like, okay, well, forget, forget that. Everything is going to work its way against me. Or I can just keep in step with the creator. Questions to think about with, with Jesus' authority and teaching. Do I really grasp this authority? Do I read and approach God's word looking to spend time, looking to spend good quality time with him, learning from him, and getting my food for the day? Do I memorize God's word so that I can know it, have it on my heart? I can own it personally. I can, I can walk around with it. I, I, I know what God says about life as I'm living in my everyday life. Do I low-key think that the Bible is just another book? Yeah, I mean, I might tap into it here. It might have some good wisdom. Do I low-key actually think that? Do I view God's word as, as the authority for me to submit my whole life to, every piece of it. And I will be the first one to say that is hard for me every day to do. Sit, and, sit inside the word. I don't wake up. I don't wake up in the morning. He's just eager to just press in with God. I'll be the first one to tell you. I don't know whose heart I have sometimes. I wake up and I'll just be like, what is going on? Who am I? You know, I'll be like, man, last thing I want to do is pray. Last thing I want to do is sit with God, but pressing in, I get 10, 15, 20 minutes in of pressing into that, to that point of where my heart is like, I really don't want to be here. 15 minutes in, I read something, I get hit, I think about a situation, I'm like, whoa, that applies. Now I'm sitting in it, now I'm sitting in it, now I'm 30 minutes, now I'm 30 minutes in and I'm sitting here and I'm like, whoa, I needed all of this. I needed all of this. And now my whole day is way different, way better. Walking in step with the spirit. Not necessarily easy, but it is essential. Jesus taught with authority. And lastly, Jesus had authority in healing. He had authority in healing. And, uh, you know, this is a grace from God that I often overlook. You know, I, I don't know why, but I often overlook. It's like life is full of hard things. Life is full of wounds. Life is full of hurts, trauma. Life, life is just full of some, some hard stuff. And, um, you know, Jesus really, as he was walking around, I want y'all to go back with me, go back there. Um, so many times in these passages, like we see from, as like we see from 32 through 34, I'll just read it real quick. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town, the whole town, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And I just think about it and I'm like, you think about healthcare back then, like actually, what was life actually like back then? There's not hospitals, no healthcare. I'm like, people probably almost always were sick, almost, almost always a disease probably going around, almost always something was probably wrong, like with people just living and operating. And I'm sure people were just like fiending. When hey, you hear about Jesus, I'm sure, I mean, it's like, it has to be rowdy, right? There is a dude, there is a random guy who's curing all this stuff. It don't matter what you got. Come see, G you know, come see Jesus. I can, only, I can only imagine loud in the street, people walking by. Hey, um, pull up. Jesus got anything you need, you know, bread, fish, 
you feed up to 5,000. Hey, look, leprosy, you know, leprosy, you come, on, come on over here. The flu, oh, you paralyzed in the legs, come on up. Get you some friends to carry you over here. Jesus, Jesus can cure you. He got you. You know, anything you have, diseases, anything, anything you, can you, like that, that would have been so crazy to, to, to experience and be around. It's like Jesus is the man with the plan, you know. How, how famous would he have been? It makes sense that everybody knew about him. Like, there's a guy who was healing people. Like, and there, bring them all. You think about it, though, and it's, it's crazy that, that that was true. Um, but I can see how easy it would be for people to just abuse that goodness, you know? So easy for us to just view Jesus only as the healer, healer guy. This is the guy that, 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 that you go to if you're sick. This is the guy you go to if you have something wrong. You have a disease. This is the guy you go to when you're hurting. He'll get you right when you go on and live your life. I can see how easy it would be if Jesus is out here just healing people. He's out here. He loves every, has compassion, and he desires to heal. It's like, how often do we look at Jesus like that? Oh, I get fired. Back in church on Sunday, you know, I'll get fired. Oh man, Jesus, I need you. I'm praying, praying like, oh, get out. I need a job again. Oh, I get a job. Thank you. I mean, it it didn't happen. It, It plays out in so many small ways. We look at God like, 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 let me let me get what I want to get from you, and I'm gone. I mean, I, I, I see it in my own prayer life. I'm like, you know, it might be some people that I work on. I work on Mizzou's campus um, for a college ministry, and um, you know, there's, there's some people I might be hanging with, and I'm like, my heart might just be burdened for some people. I'm like, God, like, hey, I, I just pray that God, you would reveal yourself to these people that they start to walk with you and taste your goodness. God, I pray that they'd be tired of the world and that that they would just see who you are in your word. My heart gets burdened for people sometimes, right? Unless I'm praying, I just I'm praying for that. I'm begging, I'm begging God in prayer, right? That's, and that's a, that, that is a, that, that's in line with God's heart. That's in line with God's heart. God wants to see that happen too. So I'm praying these things, right? And then God does it. Dudes are like, man, like, bro, I've really been eating up in the word lately. I've, God has been showing me and I'm, you know, and what do I do? I look at that. I say, bro, that's dope. I never pray again. It's like, what, what, that makes no sense. It's like, I was desperate for you to get to this point. Got to that point. It was like, I forgot all about praying. Praise God. That, that is so cool, you know? Never pray again. That's extreme. I, I try to pray. But, but, but that happens. And sometimes, and sometimes I'm like, it's so easy to just forget what God did in the midst of answering our prayers. Anyway, not necessarily going that way, but... Um, even a lot of things that I ask for God in prayer, here's a thought in regards to Jesus having authority to heal. Yes, he has authority. And yes, God has compassion, wants to take care of us. Yes, he wants the best for us. Yes, that's true. But sometimes I will ask God for things that will decrease my dependence on him. For example, 
God, I am praying that you would allow me to get this new job because if I get this new job, God, I will be able to afford this boat. God, I really pray that I can afford this boat because then I can take my family. Nothing, and nothing, and nothing wrong with this. Now, I'm not demonizing this, but hear me out. That I can, and then I get this boat, you know, God, and and I can, you know, take care of my family. And God's like, hey, like what you're praying for is something that will ultimately remove you a little bit more from my presence. Like not that not that getting that is going to remove you from my presence, but you're not praying. It's, you're not praying to know me. You're not praying to experience me more deeply. You're praying for things that will be good experiences for you, fun things that, that I just personally want that I desire. Now, now, so all the disclaimers for, 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 um, for, for buying things that are materials and all the disclaimers there. But, but the thought is we often are praying to God for things that will remove us from his presence. If you sit back and think about it, we often do that. And that just abuses his authority, I would say. It abuses his authority. So then, well, then we have to think what is, um, what's, what's the proper response? So if, 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 if God does heal, if God loves, um, what is the proper response, right? Because there's obviously a lot wrong with us. We obviously, everybody in the world has a, a, a consequence that, that, that's coming because of their sin, you know, until they, they follow Jesus. Um, that, uh, and so what's the proper response? Ultimately, I was saying that that healing, there's a healing that needs to take place there for everybody. So everybody is kind of under this umbrella of, hey, we're all sinful. We need God's grace. We need to accept Christ. There's a healing there. What is the proper response to being healed even there? And Mark 1, 30, our passage, if we look at, um, verses 30 and 31. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Her response to the healing was she began to wait on Jesus. She began to wait. She saw that she didn't deserve that healing. She didn't deserve it. So out of gratitude, she just waited on the Lord. Out of gratitude, she said, I'm going to be right here available for God. Whatever you say, whatever you want, I'm here for it. I am here for it. And that's the proper response. Why is that so tough, though? Why is that tough? I think sometimes with myself, what I've seen in myself, why is it hard for me to just be present, be available for God? <clears throat> I just feel busy. I feel like if I'm just waiting on God, then I am not being productive sometimes. And one thing that's hard too, is like, waiting on Jesus. It's like, okay, if Jesus was actually with me in person, if Jesus was in my house, if he was actually in my house, for sure, I would get up. This is the son of God. I would get up. I would do whatever he wanted me to do. He's in here, right? He's in my house. Yes. You just heal. I am going to, I'm present. I'm going to be with you. Um, and I'm going to do whatever it is you want me to do. You want a sandwich? I'll get you a sandwich, you know? 
But the reality is like in our day and age, the way that we wait on God, the way that we serve Jesus is by serving other people and living out what Jesus has stated, living how Jesus has lived. First John talks about those, anybody who lives in him must walk as Jesus did. We live like Jesus actually lived. And, and the question is, do I really want to inconvenience my life for other people? In a lot of ways to wait on Jesus, what that looks like is for us to be a servant to others, to help others oftentimes. And do I really want to inconvenience my life to do that? That's, what, that's what's tough about this day and age. She waited on Jesus. He was in the flesh and, and our response to Jesus saving us from our sin, our response from Jesus healing us internally is, I'm so grateful. You can use me however you please, but am I wanting to inconvenience my own life to, to do that for others? That's where, um, that's where I've experienced challenges there. Kind of had this, um, I was looking at it like this, uh, bear, with, uh, bear with this thought. It's kind of like, though, if, if, if you went off and bought these dishes, okay, you bought these dishes from somebody, from an owner, a different owner, who didn't take care of the dishes at all. You know, they didn't take care of them. They probably broke some of them. You know, they're just real, real dirty. You went and bought these dishes and you say, I'm going to use these dishes. I know what y'all are here for. I'm going to bring them on in. Bring on the dishes. I'm going to clean them, right? Clean them, get them all cleaned up. You can use them for what they were designed for. We all know what dishes are used for. So, but the, the wrinkle in, in, in the illustration is that, you know, these dishes, they, they have a mind of their own. Let's just say, right? We're going to get creative today, right? These dishes got a mind of their own. So what happens after you take them in, you clean them? Well, they're like, you know what? Yeah, we're clean, but I'm kind of miss my old owner. Like we had some fun. You know, he used to throw us at the wall sometimes. You know, it was kind of fun. You know, we see who, who breaks first, you know, or, or whatever the case, you know, they, they, they felt like the benefit outweighed the cost a little bit. And so they go back and it's rough out there. The old owner's not taking it easy on them. They're getting broke. There's cracks. They, you know, they, they may think they're having a little fun in a, in a, in a, for, for a little bit. And then over a longer span of time, they're just being destroyed, tore apart. They can't figure out what they're made for. What is my actual purpose? You know, they're thinking, what is my, what am I here for? Um, they don't know. Their owner is lying to them about what they're here for. They can't figure it out. There's nothing, they, they're, they're, there's no avenue for, for truth there. There's no help. But then at one day it dawns on them. You know what? There was a guy, a different owner who bought me, purchased me, cleaned me, and I wanted to come back. You know what? I'm going to go back to that guy go back to this guy, but this time I'm staying over there. He comes back, you know, they're, they're clean. And you know what? And then they, they, they experience warm oatmeal getting put inside of them, you know? Um, they're no longer getting tossed at the wall. They're getting used for their purpose to their full potential. Everything of how they were designed and made, they get to be used for their full potential. Warm bowl of oatmeal, you know? Rough illustration. Um, but... But that is that is that not how it is with God and us, though? Is that not sin? Sin makes a terrible master. Sin makes a terrible master. 
terrible master and God designs to or God desires to heal us. He desires to clean us and he desires for us to be used how we were designed to be used. God has a plan. He has the best plan for us. But we oftentimes just kind of get stuck living and desiring to live in a way that will destroy us, leave us broken. If things are hurt, I'm going to come over here. I can go to, go to church a little bit, get, get some healing, you know, get some. Yeah, I need some Jesus right now. Yeah, and I'm coming back. I'm coming back yet because this is how I'm really living. Get tore up and come back. Get tore up and come back. In, in, in reality, we need to just submit our life to God. God, we will remain clean. God will clean us continually as we sit in the word. And I kind of just wanted to, for those of y'all, I haven't really got to meet everybody in here. And um, I'm only 25, I'm only 25 years old, right? But things for me, there's no, I didn't have a dad in my life or anything like that. So I was kind of the man of the house at a younger age. I would probably say I was doing what I wanted at a younger age. By the time I was 15, I mean, I was I was smoking weed, drinking. I was had sexual experiences. I mean, I was living a life of sin to the full. To the full. by the time I was like fifteen, I was driving. I was I was doing what people, I, what the world does. Sin was my master, and I was pursuing it. That's all I knew. I'd go to church on Sunday, but that was all I knew, and I was in it. And and I can tell you, I can, and from 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 fifteen to. 19, when I really started for those four years, really started walking until I really started walking with the Lord at 19 and got started getting discipled and saw, saw the light and somebody shared the gospel with me the first time. Those four years, I can tell you numerous situations that I almost died, literally. I can tell you situations that I was, I was <laughs> in because sin is a terrible master. Sin is a terrible, and I was having fun. Also for me though, I just really didn't know any different. That was just what I saw growing up. That was everything that I saw. I mean, everybody that, how I was living is how everybody was living, where how I was growing up. So that, there was nothing different. I didn't, I didn't see much of anything else. Sin made a terrible, man was a terrible master. Heartbroken, messing around with these girls, just, just terrible experience. But thinking that's all that life is and all that life has. I come to Christ at 19 years old and from 19 to 25, from 19 to 25, these last few years of my life, I mean, God has really just rewired everything about me. He has rewired my thoughts. He's rewired the way that I view people, love people, healing, right? I told you, I mentioned the bad relationships in the past, healing, rewired the way that I view women. I, I there didn't, didn't know in the past, didn't even know how to have a real friendship in the past. God rewired. He healed that, needed that. I was obviously living in my sin and that meant hell for me. That meant hell that that was still a burden on me and then God saves me. So now there's salvation. So on top of that's already on top of all the things that he was doing in my own heart. And I'm just a grateful guy. I am a grateful guy. God has authority to heal and he has healed me. And I look back at it and, and the only tangible response, the only response that I can think of for, because I didn't go looking for God. I didn't go looking for God. The only response that I can think of that, that is, a, is a logical response is for me to just wait on him. 
It's for me to sit and listen to what God says in the scriptures, for me to be in his presence, for me to seek God, it's for me to then be outward, it's for me to then help others have that and experience that same joy, to experience that. I know, I know what from 15 to 19 was like very clearly. And honestly, I look out at my family members and they're, and they're a lot older and I see what that life plays out to, if I'm being honest. I see how that life plays out over a long haul, over the long period of time. And sin is a terrible master. And, and the response to, to coming to God and being healed from those things is for us to wait on him and to live a life of gratitude, of thankfulness, a life that's outward and a life that loves people and points people to who God is. A few questions to ask. Is there an area of life that's hard for you to trust God with? Um, how is your gratitude for Jesus healing leading you to serve others and be obedient to his word? Are you available for God to use or are you too busy for him? Do you currently have the wrong master? Do you need to give your life to Jesus fully and allow him to completely renew you? So in closing, we started off talking that this was a big Jesus passage. And so Jesus is the Holy One of God. He is a creator. He has all authority to teach. His word still teaches. His word still changes lives. His word is still true. That Bible that might sit up on the dresser, grab it. His word is still as powerful as it was then. And he still has authority to heal. There's nothing you're going through that God cannot renew. He can't rewire in you. One quote that I heard that I really love um, is that people are always the closest to Jesus when they have finally come to the end of themselves. I'll pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, just uh, so grateful that you are a personal God. We know that you are set apart, God. We know that you are holy. We know that you are perfect. But we also know that, God, you came down and you lived among a people who were lowly, a people who were imperfect, a people who were sinful. We know that, God, you have taught. You've given us your word. God, you've given us direction. We know that you love us. God, we know that you care about all of our souls. God, we know that you've designed us uniquely. God, and I pray that we would just give all of that to you. God, we'd give it back. God, I pray that we would have a proper response to what you've done for us. I pray, God, that we would just look out and we would see that there are so many avenues, so many paths of life that could be taken. But God, that you say in Acts 2, you will fill us with joy in your presence. God, we can come to you and we will have joy. God, we will be who we were meant to be. So God, grateful that you do have authority to heal our broken. God, grateful that you have came and taught in God and uh, we're grateful that you are set apart. And God, we, we love you and it's in, your, in these things, it's in your name that we pray, amen.